The sports world keeps spinning, and the local conversation continues. Now, Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. And a very good Wednesday evening to you, Jacksonville. It is Hacker After Dark. 1010XL 92.5 FM with Dylan Denmark. The Hacker Ryan Green with you. Glad you are with us. With you till 10 o'clock tonight, we got a ton to get into. There's Jaguar news. There's NFL news. There's college football news. There's some college basketball news going on all over the place. So we got you for the next two hours. Guest lineup looks like this on a Wednesday. Coming up in about 20 minutes, J.P. Shadrick, Jaguars.com and Jaguars Radio. Here on 1010XL, here's a little interesting tidbit. Now, I'm not the guy any longer that counts the minutes or the hours or the days until the next football season. I have found as I've gotten older, you tend to enjoy the ride a little more. It's not like a roller coaster, man. You don't want to just start out and then envision the loop and then get to the end as quick as possible. You want to enjoy the process. And the NFL offseason is a process. But just to throw it out there for those of you that do like to count things down, wish time away, if you will, the Jacksonville Jaguars were eliminated at Arrowhead Stadium 25 days ago. NFL free agency begins 26 days from today. So we are basically the halfway point between when the Jaguars season ended and when free agency begins on Monday, March 13th. What about Evan Ingram? What about Jawan Taylor? What about Arden Key? When will we start seeing guys get released here in Jacksonville? We saw it out in Vegas last night with Derek Carr. When will the first release come? Shaq Griffin, here in Jacksonville. Well, sooner rather than later, we're going to talk about all of that and more with J.P. Shadrick, Jaguars.com, and Jaguars Radio. That's coming up in about 20 minutes. At the top of the 9 o'clock hour, Vinny Ayers covered the NFL for many years. For the sporting news, we'll talk a little Super Bowl, we'll talk a little Jaguars, and we'll look big picture around the National Football League with Vinny Iyer coming up at 9 o'clock from the sporting news, and at the bottom of the 9 o'clock hour. They had a parade today in Kansas City. The Chiefs hoisting the Lombardi Trophy yet again. Jed Marshall, Sports Radio 610 and the Kansas City Sports Network. He will join us to recap the Chiefs' win and recap today's festivities out there with the championship parade. So we got a lot to do. Again, we're glad you're with us on a Wednesday. We'll keep you updated about Gator basketball Denmark, the last score I had, now you told me right before we came on that Colin Castleton is out for the game with a hand injury. That's probably not a good thing. But the last score I had was Florida was up eight. Do we have anything new to report? I got eight minutes left in the game. Florida's up 64-49. Okay, yeah, Florida pulling away up 15. It'll be a very emotional win in Gainesville to get to 14-12. and and remain firmly in the mix in the bracketology section for the NIT, which is where Florida is, clearly on the bubble for the NIT right now. That would be the National Invitational Tournament. But as we do every night here on Hacker After Dark, we kick it off with a big deal of the night and Dylan Denmark. Let's do that right now. 
time now for the big deal of the night. What's the big deal? What is the big deal? It is a big deal. On Hacker After Dark. Ladies and gentlemen, the day has arrived. The 15th day of February here in 2023. Happy Calvin Ridley Day to you, the good men and women that support the Jacksonville Jaguars. Calvin Ridley, who the Jaguars acquired via trade from the Atlanta Falcons at the trade deadline a few months ago, who has been suspended from the National Football League since the middle of October in 2021, officially today applied for reinstatement to the NFL. Didn't waste any time. Today was the first day that Calvin Ridley could apply for reinstatement, and he did that. And he was active on social media while he was doing it. By all indications, and you're going by what people tell you, Calvin Ridley is in terrific shape. He's been working out. And remember, when Calvin Ridley left the NFL, there was a legit argument that he was a top 10, certainly a top 15, but a top 10 wide receiver in the NFL. Calvin Ridley was a beast for the Atlanta Falcons. You pull up Ridley's numbers, his last full year in 2020, he started 15 games, he caught 90 passes for 1,374 yards and nine touchdowns. In only five games in 2021, he had 31 grabs for 281 yards, and then the suspension came for allegedly gambling on the league with parlays and whatnot. And he's been gone what will be, by the time the 2023 regular season rolls around, almost two full calendar years. Calvin Ridley's going to be reinstated. I have not talked to one person that covers the NFL, that covers the Atlanta Falcons, or that does what we do here on 1010XL and covers the Jaguars on a daily basis that has told me they do not believe Ridley will be reinstated. Everybody across the board, bar none, have said, yeah, at some point, Calvin Ridley, this offseason will be reinstated. And when he's reinstated, he's eligible to play from the word go. And he's in there. Now, there are questions. What will he look like? It's been a long time since he's played in a game in the NFL. It's one thing to look in shape. It's one thing to be in shape practice-wise. But what is he going to look like when the games start happening? Will it take him some time? Will they work him in for the first month or so in the 2023 regular season? I've said for a long time, if you get 75% of what Calvin Ridley was in October of 2021, oh boy, and you team him up with Christian Kirk, you team him up with Zay Jones, you put Travis Etienne in the backfield, and hopefully you have Evan Ingram there. Let's imagine a world where they re-sign Evan Ingram or they put the franchise tag on Evan Ingram and you're out there in a three-wide receiver set, Ridley, Kirk, Zay Jones, ETN, and Ingram with Trevor Lawrence throwing them the ball. Sign me up for that right now. Perhaps sign Evan Ingram up for that right now. Earlier today, Field Yates, ESPN, sent out a tweet saying that three-wide receiver set, this is what it could look like in Jacksonville, Evan Ingram quote tweeted it with the big eyes. Like, yeah, 
So Ingram playing some mind games a little bit on social media. Of the big three, and the big three to me, Evan Ingram, Jawan Taylor, and Arden Key, the three guys that are going to hit free agency 26 days from today, I believe Evan Ingram is the most likely to return because I believe that he wants to be back. I know the Jaguars want him back. And I think even though they don't want to do it, if you have to put the franchise tag on somebody, I think you would put it on Evan Ingram. I would be, I won't say shocked because what really shocks you anymore in the NFL, I would be very, very, very surprised if Evan Ingram is not a Jacksonville Jaguar when they report back for offseason workouts on April 17th. I can't say that about Jawan Taylor. I can't say that about Arden Key. I hope Jawan Taylor and Arden Key are back, but I can't say that. But back to Calvin Ridley. You know, when that trade happened last year, it was kind of an under-the-radar thing, right? Some people were scratching their head. What are the Jaguars doing? Some people thought it was a brilliant move. Some people didn't like the move. There was all over the board on the Ridley trade. Who knows how it's going to work out? Who has any idea? We don't know, and we're not going to know for a good seven, eight months at the absolute minimum. But what I do know is this. When Calvin Ridley applied for reinstatement today, it was the lead story on ESPN.com's NFL page, and it was one of the lead stories on the NFL Network. It's a big deal, man. You're adding a guy in Calvin Ridley that has only played three full seasons of NFL football. Actually, check that. The guy's only started 35 games in his career. Five is rookie year, 10 is second year, 15 is third year, and only five in 2021. He's been in the league four years, only started 35 games. 248 grabs for over 3,300 yards and 28 touchdowns. 28 touchdowns in 35 starts for Calvin Ridley. And all the draft guys that we have coming on here, all the guys that get paid the big money to study the draft, even the uh, NFL guys that study free agency, the overwhelming thoughts I'm getting from them regarding wide receiver, is this a down year in the draft for wide receivers? It's not like it's been the last couple years. Free agency-wise, again, not a great year. Free agency-wise at wide receiver, at least guys that you could realistically get. So when Trent Baalke pulled the trigger on the Calvin Ridley deal, people thought, why are you bringing in a suspended player? Why are you doing that? Well, you're doing that for the here and now, right? You're doing that with your eyes on the future to give Trevor Lawrence another weapon. And unless I'm mistaken... Calvin Ridley in 2023 is going to be in a contract year. He's set to become a free agent, right, after 2023. And uh, we've seen here in Jacksonville and in other places, Evan Ingram, Arden Key, Jawan Taylor, just to name a few, how players seem to perform in contract years. So not only do you have Christian Kirk, coming off his best year as a Jaguar, 
not only do you have Zay Jones coming off his best year of his career, Kirk's best year of his career as well. ETN was fantastic last year. But you have Calvin Ridley coming in who wants a, who wants one more big contract during his time in the NFL. The further that trade gets away from happening and the closer we get to seeing Calvin Ridley in a Jaguar uniform, the better, the better it looks for Trent Baalke in this organization because they might have gotten a steal. And truthfully, they didn't really have to give up all that much. What they give up? A fourth? I think hypothetically the maximum it can turn into is a second if Ridley re-signs in Jacksonville. And if he re-signs in Jacksonville, that means he had a heck of a 2023 year. And if it costs you a second-round pick for 75, 80 catches for 1,000 yards and eight or nine touchdowns, I'm fine with that. Odds are you wouldn't have got that production from a second-round wide receiver anyway. So I love it. Calvin Ridley Day, he has officially applied to be reinstated. Now the NFL, and they'll drag their feet probably for a little bit. But who knows? Maybe he'll be actually ready to go when offseason workouts commence here in Jacksonville on Monday, April the 17th. Other Jaguar-related news, Todd McShay. It's a rite of passage in this country. Whenever Mel Kuyper or Todd McShay release a mock draft, we are contractually obligated to talk about it. Denmark, the wide receiver from Ohio State. The name is? Jackson Smith and Jigba. Absolutely. Todd Say Mc... that three times fast. Yes. No, I'm good. That's what I got you for. I got Denmark to do all that stuff for me. The wide receiver from Ohio State is who Todd McShay has coming to Jacksonville. I love it, but I don't love it on Calvin Ridley Day. Hey, Todd McShay, how many wide receivers do the Jaguars need, right? If they have Ridley, they have Kirk, they have Zay Jones, and if they re-sign Evan Ingram, they're not drafting a wide receiver in the first round. There's only so many weapons you can have, all right? If Ridley comes in and if you re-sign Ingram, I'm going corner or I'm going interior defensive line or an outside shot of interior offensive line. If Osiris Torrance is there at 20, what are they picking, 25th, I'm taking Osiris Torrance. And a guard isn't the sexiest thing, but if you put Cam Robinson, Osiris Torrance, Luke Fortner, Brandon Sheriff, and Jawan Taylor or Walker Little, yeah, I'm good with that. That's what I was telling you guys last night. This isn't going to be the sexiest offseason. Odds are Calvin Ridley, even though he's not technically a free agent, that will be the most well-known guy the Jaguars bring in here in the free agent market or in the draft. Gone are the days of the Jaguars picking in the top five. The Jaguars are picking 25th. At 25th, you're looking for a guy to come in and contribute. You're looking for a guy to probably start, certainly play a lot. But at 25, you're not expecting an all-world savior like you were expecting with Trevor Lawrence and like you probably were expecting with Trayvon Walker. Now, at 25, the Jaguars got Travis Etienne. It's a great pick at number 25. If they can strike gold like that, get a Travis Etienne equivalent in the secondary or a Travis Etienne equivalent along the line of scrimmage, it's fantastic. 
but you can't expect the 25th pick to come in and make a huge impact. Love that. We're going to be doing that a lot more. The NFL draft, two and a half months away. And you look at what they're going to do in free agency. And we're going to get into this with J.P. Shadrick. We've had a lot of salary cap guys on already. Look, opening day last year, it was Christian Kirk. It was Aluakun. It was Brandon Scherf. It was Evan Ingram. They were going nuts, right? The Jaguars were going nuts, spending millions and millions and millions of dollars. It will not be like that this year. They will bring in some folks, but they're going to be the second and third tier guys. You know what they're going to be? They're going to be the guys that you don't think anything about until they make a huge stop on Derrick Henry on fourth and one in October. And then you're going to be like, wow, what a signing. That cornerback that they're going to bring in there for a two-year, $9 million deal, you're not going to think anything about him until he makes a critical interception off of Josh Allen in the Buffalo game in November. Like we said last night, they're no longer shopping at Macy's this offseason. They're at the dollar store looking for bargains. But I trust Trent Baalke. Well, I never thought I would say that a year ago. I do. I trust Trent Baalke. We wish Trent Baalke a very happy birthday last night. And I trust Trent Baalke to bring in some guys that might not have the biggest name value, but bring in guys like Darius Williams. When Darius Williams was signed here, let's be honest, the only reason it got so much pub is because he played at Creekside High School. If Darius Williams had played at Bayside with Zach Morris and A.C. Slater in California, it would not have been a big signing. And Darius Williams comes in here and was really nice towards the end of the year. Those are the kind of guys you're looking for this offseason. You're looking to find more Arden Keys. You're looking to find more Darius Williams like you did a year ago. 641-1010 is the phone number on a happy Calvin Ridley Wednesday night in the city of Jacksonville. Coming up next, speaking of the Jaguars, my friend J.P. Shadrick, Jaguars.com, Jaguars Radio. Let's talk. Jaguars offseason, let's talk about that brand new beautiful facility that should be ready to go in a couple of months. Let's talk Doug Peterson, Trevor Lawrence, and let's talk about free agency. J.P. Shadrick, Jaguars.com, and Jaguars Radio next on Hacker After Dark. Another interview on the Farrah and Farrah phone line, brought to you by the accident attorneys at Farrah and Farrah. Back here on 1010XL at 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. The Jaguar offseason enters the middle part of February. Here's something hard to believe. 25 days ago, the Jaguars lost to Kansas City. 26 days from today, NFL free agency begins. So we were about the halfway point between when the season ended and when free agency arrives. With that, let's head down to the stadium. J.P. Shadrick, Jaguars.com and Jaguars Radio. Always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. JP, how we doing, man? Hacker, doing well, man. Off season's here, about a week and a half away from the NFL scouting combine in Indianapolis, and it never, never seems to slow down. The uh, the NFL is about 11 months a year, and we're in the midst of that right now. Yeah, there's no question. I imagine the coaches are probably back at work getting ready for the combine. And I know you're down at the stadium, probably standing pretty close to the brand-new football facility there. 
JP, what's the status of that thing, man? Is that thing going to be ready to go in time for uh, certainly training camp there in July? Yeah, it's, it's funny. I, we're talking on the phone. I walked outside, and I'm standing here looking at it right now. They've put glass up uh, on the building, and it's, as far as I know, supposedly uh, going to be ready for business this summer, and the team will move in there probably June, July, somewhere in there, and then training camp, of course, starts in late July. So they've just now started to clear off what will be the two outdoor fields and kind of level those off. So I, I'm thinking very soon they'll – start putting the field down and uh, finishing up the interior of the building, but it's going to be on time and it's going to be spectacular. And it will be a, uh, I think a big change, certainly in a good way for the, for the football team to have their own space. And uh, this kind of puts them right up there with the rest of the NFL in terms of facilities. Uh, They were woefully behind in terms of space. You had coaches and hallways and uh, the weight room is out on the concourse. I mean, there's a lot of things um, you know, from the 1995 stadium that were just outdated. And it was time to it was time to do it, and it's going to be fantastic. And, JP, again, JP Shadrick here with us. You spoke to it there a little bit, but you're a great guy to ask from a guy that works in that stadium every day. I mean, that's going to be an invaluable resource, right? I mean, that levels the playing field, all that available space, all those rooms, all that the things that can be used in that building – that's going to be unreal for the Jaguar football team and really the entire organization. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, it, it just kind of makes it uh, – I think it's long overdue, honestly. I mean, because there's so many new places in the league now. Uh, and I don't know if it's a competitive in terms of free agency. Yeah, players will come in. The money's what's going to compete with people in free agency, right, at the end of the day. It does help if your facility is a little bit better. But I think that the big picture there – is the the dollar signs for a lot of those free agents and the situation with the football team more than what building you're walking into every day. But from a day-to-day perspective, just meeting space, um, you know, collaboration with other parts of the office. I mean, all that is just going to be streamlined a bit because everything's in one big, it's massive, obviously, but it's all combined. It's all football only. A football factory is what shotgun described it as when they were announcing it and that's exactly what it would be jp we've had three and a half weeks to kind of decompress get away from it a little bit and you know when you think back to the run the jaguars made i'll refer to it as last year now that the super bowl is in the rearview mirror i mean you started with the jaguars over a decade ago you've seen a a lot of down times there you do the network post game i do the fifth quarter and i can't tell you how many times we we had to talk about loss after loss after loss year after year after year but Boy, last year was a heck of a lot of fun, man. As you reflect back, what are some of your fondest memories? Oh, I mean, just the way they turned things around after London, right? I mean, it was going the wrong way. They were losing a lot of close games. It felt like they could you know, be in them. They were in those games. just couldn't finish them off. And then they actually flipped the switch and started winning some games. And in some dramatic fashion, obviously, as well. I mean, the one that, that really stands out to me was the Cowboys game. Uh, that was one, obviously, with the overtime and the interception. And then going to, to Tennessee and, and finally knocking off the Titans in their place first time in a long time that's happened. And just the way it happened, they physically just beat them up and, and knocked the ball loose out of Derrick Henry. And that's when Josh Allen said they realized, oh, we can actually do this, right? We're not going to get pushed around by any team anymore. If we can knock it out of Derrick Henry, uh, Shaq Quarterman hit, did it. And I think that was really when the thing turned and the confidence 
just continued to build from there. So for me, it's the Titans game up there in Nashville, the Cowboys game on the defensive touchdown, um, and the way they just kept fighting and scrapping throughout uh, December to, to get it done. Those are those are some fun games for sure. J.P. Shadrick, Jaguars.com. J.P., as we turn the page and look ahead to the offseason, we're already seeing it, right? ESPN, uh, NFL Network, all these power ranking polls coming out, going in to the offseason. The Jaguars are in the top ten in all these things. I saw Colin Cowherd earlier this week had Trevor Lawrence as the number three quarterback in the league going into 2023. This is going to be the offseason where all the love is going to be shown on Jacksonville. It'll be a nice change. Now, certainly they have to back all of that up once the play starts here in early to mid-September, but it's kind of nice not to be the doormat anymore and to actually be talked about, like the YouTube TV commercial promoting Sunday ticket at the Super Bowl. What's one of the first images you see? Trevor Lawrence to Evan Ingram. You're not accustomed to that here in Jacksonville. Well, you better get accustomed to it. I mean, if, if this team's going to win consistently, that's what you get. That's what you're going to have. And uh, when you don't win consistently, you, you see what happens on the other end of it. We've seen that for the last decade for the most part. Um, everybody likes a winner, and that includes the network, certainly. And they love a quarterback, and they love a head coach combination. Uh, kind of changes the game in that regard for the Jaguars. And now it's just a matter of building it around it. Um, you know, building it to be sustainable, not just a one-hit wonder. And that's the goal of this offseason is to get those parts around the quarterback and, and the coach and, you know, tweak some things on defense and and build this thing for the long haul and not just a one- or two-year hit. And then you'll see them everywhere on promotions. I mean, that's not going to go away. I mean, this feels like much more sustainable, obviously, than we saw in the 2017 uh, collapse in 2018 and uh, the dismantling of the organization basically in the next year or so after that. This is not that. This is going to be around for a while. Uh, it's just a matter of, of building it the right way now. This is a, this is a big offseason for this team in a lot of ways. Um, you know, they've got to figure out some things in free agency. They've got to figure out the salary cap first and then go cherry pick some guys in the draft that can co-contribute and, and build this football team. And I want to get to some of those free agent thoughts in a moment. Final thought on Trevor Lawrence right now. Look, all due respect to the, the greats of the Jaguar past, Burnell, Baselli, Taylor, Smith, McCardell, you name it, but they didn't play here in the social media era, right? The 24-hour constant news cycle. Um, MJD a little bit, but even he wasn't in the social media era per se. Jalen Ramsey a little bit, but he wasn't a quarterback. JP, I'm watching Trevor Lawrence last week do every interview on television, every network had him, every major, you know, syndicated radio national show had him, and the way he conducted himself, the way he represented the organization, unbelievably impressive for a 23-year-old to do what he did last week in those media rounds. Well, I mean, we see that every every week we get to talk to him. Um, you know, he does his press conference on Wednesdays on game week, and then, of course, after the game, he's available, uh, he's approachable, He's open. He's honest. He probably, you know, gives too long an answers sometimes, right? I mean, he's, he gives you all the information you want plus stuff. As a reporter, that's invaluable, especially from a quarterback and quarterback of the Jaguars. That's that's big time stuff. And you know, remember what he went through his rookie year too. He was the one that had to go out there every week when everything was going on with the head coach and represent the team. 
um, that was tough because he couldn't go in the locker room that year. Remember, it was you know still the COVID rules, so he was kind of thrown out there and had to deal with that awful situation. And I think he earned a lot of uh, credit in that season, his rookie season, with the way he did that. And I just I think that speaks to the character of the guy, the way he was brought up, and the way he has turned into a professional. That's um, that's Trevor Lawrence in a nutshell, and that's. Uh, it feels like that's the true Trevor Lawrence. It's not a show. It's hard to fake it for that long, um, for that 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 you know that long of amount of time, um, being that open and good. Uh, I think that's just who he is, and we're we're in a great spot with with him at the helm. A couple of more for JP Shadrick, Jaguars.com, and of course Jaguars Radio here on Ten Ten XL. JP, happy Calvin Ridley Day. I saw within the last uh, hour or so. Uh, from Adam Schefter, Ian Rappaport, that Calvin Ridley has officially applied for reinstatement. It was the first day he could do it. He has done so, not wasting any time. All indications are that it's just now a matter of time before the NFL allows him to be reinstated and to show up to Jacksonville, get the playbook, and become Trevor Lawrence's new best friend on the offense. What will Calvin Ridley, JP, in your opinion, add to this team and to that offense? Well, we'll see what kind of shape he's in first. I mean, he hasn't played, what, he played five games two seasons ago and then was out. So it's been a while for him. Is he, you know, can he get his football legs back quickly? And I think the only way you do that is to go play, right? So uh, we may not know, uh, at least maybe, I, I would even say early in the season, you know, I, you know, and I'm saying that not even seeing the guy. Maybe he's in great shape. I have no idea. Um, but let's let's see what he looks like. First off, let's get him reinstated. Let's start with that. He's applied for it. That doesn't mean he is reinstated yet. So let the league do their thing on that and then get him into this situation here and see what he's got and um, then build it from there. I think that's the next step. And, you know, if he if he's close to what he was in his first year, uh, then you're in pretty good shape. He's got the deep credibility. He can be a true number one receiver for this team. Um, and then that just adds to what Zay Jones and, and Christian Kirk and those guys can do around him. But this is a if if he's close to that, it's a it's a fantastic pickup for Trim Paul. Well, and you think about that offense, what it could be next year in a three wide receiver set: Ridley, Kirk, Zay Jones with Travis Etienne, and hopefully Evan Ingram. And that leads me into free agency. JP, there's I think 14 unrestricted free agents. And there's some sort of nice players from Andrew Wingard, Chris Manhurts, um, Dewan Smoot, you know, guys that I would like to see back here. But at the end of the day, the fan base is talking about three guys. They're talking about Arden Key, they're talking about Jawan Taylor, and they're talking about Evan Ingram. Those are the three guys that everybody's interested in. JP, from your perspective, uh, maybe vital is not the right word, but it's the word I'm going to use. Is it vital to the Jaguars that they're able to bring – two or even all three of those guys back? I think it's vital to bring your tight end back. Uh, I don't think you bring him in on a one-year deal with your basically first-year quarterback now in a second season, obviously. You build all that chemistry they did together to just let it walk out the door. I think that's something they can sustain. And, you know, I think it's a priority for the organization. And, I, you know, we heard it from Evan – from his mouth on, on the clean-out day in the locker room, he, he wants to be here too. So, you know, usually when those things meet up, it gets done. So we'll see uh, how that goes. The right tackle, I mean, 
the Jaguars, in theory, do have a little bit of wiggle room because they have Walker Little sitting there and played well um, when he was in the football uh, games later in the season. So, okay, yeah, he played well at left tackle, but, hey, he's a guy that you feel like you drafted in the second round for a reason. Um, I don't think it's as vital because of that. Now, it'd be nice to have Juwan Taylor back, and uh, the number is going to be the big question on that. And can he play at the level he did this season? This was a contract year for him, and he, he played his best football in big moments this year. And can he sustain that? Is that what you're going to get out of Jawan Taylor? I, I think it would be. I don't, I don't know why he would play otherwise, but that's just something to think about. And the Arden Key one, yeah, he, he played big in big moments as well. Um, you know, what's the number on him? Uh, you know, they're going to have to do some other things beyond Arden Key, I think, to really fix this pass rush in key moments. But um, he played big. But I, I would probably put them in that order, honestly. Ingram, priority one, the right tackle, and then the, the pass rush. And look, I don't know about you, JP. I would imagine you do, but, but I don't want to put words in your mouth. I can't go out, you know, to a restaurant, a grocery store, where I don't hear some sort of conversation about how excited this fan base is, man. I mean, people are talking about the off-season program. They're talking about the draft. They're talking about training camp and the schedule next year. My goodness, when you have home games against Kansas City and Cincinnati and, and you know, you're playing the likes of San Francisco and all these teams, Buffalo as well, I mean, the excitement in this city, we knew it was going to be like this when the Jaguars finally started winning. And, boy, it's come to fruition even early on here in the offseason. That's good. I mean, it's been a long time coming, right? And it kind of proves that this is an NFL town. And, you know, there's all this talk. If you get out of here, oh, it's college town, Florida, Florida State. Yes, and they have big presence here. But when the Jaguars are good, it is an NFL town. And it is not even close in terms of viewership. Um, anything, any other metric you want to put on it when the Jags are hot, it is the talk of the town. It certainly is right now. And I think it will be for the foreseeable future, Hacker, just as we talked about, the way it's been built so far, the the ability they have moving ahead to, to make it sustainable, uh, the new building, everything going on around the stadium, that's all headed in the right direction as well. And hey, it's a good time to be a Jaguar. And everybody's on the bandwagon. Let's do it. Let's ride this thing. All right, JP, leave us with this. Three and a half weeks till free agency. As you mentioned, the combine before that. What can people look forward to over there at Jaguars.com? Yeah, we're back on uh, on the air actually next week with our shows. We had a little hiatus after the, the playoff run. So everybody got a little rested. We're back uh, next week with drive time and huddle up with Bucky Brooks on Wednesday. And then Thursday, it's happy hour again. And then the next week, we're at the combine. We'll be there on the ground at at Radio Row Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, national guests. Uh, of course, Doug Peterson, Trent Baalke both speak with the media, I believe, on Tuesday of that week. So we'll have plenty of coverage around those events. Uh, and then all of a sudden, it's uh, it's March. And uh, here we go. The, the league year begins in the middle of March. And uh, as we said, it never stops. There's always something a couple weeks out, it feels like. And that's by design. The league loves it that way. And you know what, Packer, we do too. That gives us something to do all year long. There is no question about that. J.P. Shadrick, Jaguars.com and Jaguars Radio. J.P., I'll talk to you after the combine, my friend. Safe travels. We'll talk again soon. Sounds great, Hacker. I appreciate you. There you go. J.P. Shadrick at Jaguars.com here with us.
on Hacker After Dark. Yeah, I like the uh, the ambiance in the background. He was standing outside the stadium earlier where they're building the brand new football facility, and that thing should be ready to go. All indications are it should be ready to go by the time training camp rolls around in July. And uh, boy, what a uh, what a sight that'll be when that thing finally opens up. Thank you to JP Shadrick again, Jaguars.com. While we were talking to him, something this happened. Just in on Hacker After Dark. In Gainesville, Florida, the Gators in the victory column tonight. They defeat the Ole Miss Rebels 79-64. Todd Golden and the Gators get the 14 and 12 on the year. Seven and six in the Southeastern Conference. And they keep they're very, very powerful hopes alive to reach the NIT. The National Invitational Tournament, Florida clearly a bubble team for that. I kid because I care, but let's be real. They're not going to the NCAA tournament. Neither is Florida State. It's going to be very lonely uh, in the state of Florida without either one of those teams in the big dance. But it's baby steps, and Florida does get their 14th win of the year, their seventh win in conference tonight a 79-64 win over Ole Miss. Speaking of the Gators, we'll shift gears to the world of college football. We didn't talk much about this last night. Todd Munkin, offensive coordinator, Georgia, gone to Baltimore. He returns to the NFL. Mike Bobo back at Georgia as the offensive coordinator. What does that mean for the dogs moving forward? And I saw something earlier today on ESPN.com that, quite frankly, I could not believe. They have their hot seat conversation in the world of college football. And when it comes to Billy Napier, they have him in that conversation. And let me tell you right now, if Billy Napier is on the hot seat in in Gainesville, that is a significant problem. And the Gator fans, brass, whomever, you need to take a long, long look in the mirror. We'll talk about it next on Hacker After Dark. This is Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. Oh, the memories this brings back. Karaoke over in the Mandarin area. Absolutely. This was good stuff. You want to talk about it? No, no, I don't. I just want to listen to it and reminisce about times gone by. Kind of like Vegas, you know, what says in Vegas. That's exactly right. Yeah, something that's like exactly that. right. Happily married man now. By the way, speaking of family, I put this out on Twitter earlier. So my man, my three-year-old, is in karate, right? It's an awesome place over in Mandarin. I'm sure if you live in Mandarin, odds are your kid is been to that place or is currently a member of that karate place because I think every kid in Mandarin is there at some point during the week. He's only been to like 15 classes. He's just starting. And he had to uh, break a board today for the first time to get a brand new belt. You want to talk about a proud dad moment for the hacker? Watching my man break that board, the look on his face, he was all fired up. They gave him the brand new belt. They gave me the board that he broke. Oh, just glorious. Kids are the best, man. That was fantastic. So congrats to my little guy who probably is listening now. They have a thing where they put the show on YouTube. And that's a great segue, Denmark, into the fact that you can stream Hacker After Dark every night on the 1010XL YouTube channel. 
and also on 1010XL Twitter. You go to either Twitter or YouTube, type in 1010XL. You'll see Hacker After Dark there till 10 o'clock tonight. And you can watch the show live, much like my man's doing right now, I'm sure, over in Mandarin. All right, college basketball. We mentioned Florida with the victory tonight over Ole Miss, 79-64. To the college football gridiron for a moment. So there's a story on ESPN.com, and they do this every year, college football coaching hot seat and retirement watch for 2023. And they go by conferences, right? In the ACC, the hot seat, Dino Babers of Syracuse. In the Big 12, the hot seat, Neil Brown of West Virginia, so on and so forth. So I'm scrolling and I'm scrolling and I'm scrolling and I get to the Southeastern Conference. It says hot seat, none. But underneath that, it says keep an eye on. And in the keep an eye on category, meaning could potentially get to a hot seat, they got Jimbo Fisher at Texas A&M. They got Eli Drinkowitz at Missouri. And they got Billy Napier at the University of Florida. There is a problem with Gator fans. I've been told about it for many years. In Denmark, I just assume I had my blinders on and became numb to the fact that the expectations at the University of Florida are ridiculous. And you cannot reach them. You cannot accomplish them. The University of Florida fan base believes that their football team should be in the top five every year. And if they're not in the top five every year, there are problems. Keep in mind, they've won three national championships, to my knowledge, correct? 96, 06, and 08. Well, they've been playing football there for over 100 years. So that's not exactly a good uh, percentage of national championships. Now, I understand that Florida fans want better than six and seven, and they deserve to be better than six and seven. But any conversation that involves the two words of hot seat and involves the name of Billy Napier, I'm sorry, you're wrong. It's just too early in the process. Billy Napier last year coached with mostly Dan Mullen players. Why did Dan Mullen get fired? Because people said he was a terrible recruiter. So if you fire Dan Mullen because he's a terrible recruiter and Billy Napier inherits Dan Mullen's guys, what could you honestly expect? Keep in mind, the best players Florida had last year, not named Anthony Richardson, was Osiris Torrance. That's a Billy Napier guy. Trevor Etienne, that's a Billy Napier guy. Montreal Johnson, that's a Billy Napier guy. Ricky Pearsall, a Billy Napier guy. You're sensing a pattern here? And look, people are going to blame Billy Napier for the quarterback problem. The Jaden Rashada thing is not Billy Napier's fault. It's not. I mean, Billy Napier got commitments from two five-star quarterbacks. Jaden Rashada this year, DJ Lagway next year. Gator fan, you wanted a guy 
to get you five-star quarterbacks. Billy Napier got commitments and in Rashada's case, got a signed, signed letter of intent from a five-star quarterback. Did not work out. The collective, whatever happened, Rashada wanted more money. They were promised things they didn't get. Whatever happened, whatever story you've heard, most of which probably are not true. I don't think anybody really is ever going to let the cat out of the bag. I have been told something that I believe to be true, but I don't have it on absolute authority, so I'm not going with it. But we know something happened. Was it Billy Napier's fault? No, I don't believe it was. Billy Napier was hired to get letters of intent from five-star players, and he did that with Jaden Rashada. It's not his fault. Now, what is his fault is in the transfer portal, Devin Leary to Kentucky, Sam Hartman to Notre Dame, Spencer Sanders to Ole Miss. But keep in mind, when all of those quarterbacks were going elsewhere in the portal, Florida was of the understanding that Jaden Rashada was coming in. So can you fault them for that? They went out and got Graham Mertz, Austin Appleby, probably 2.0. But it's hard for me to blame Napier. But the reason I think, Gator fan, you're going to be on the Billy Napier fire bandwagon here in the next uh, six, seven months is Florida's going to be bad in 2023. Wrap your mind around it. Understand it. Utah on the road. LSU on the road. Georgia here. South Carolina on the road. Kentucky on the road. Tennessee, Florida State, Arkansas. It is a brutal, brutal schedule. But like we said, the night is darkest before the dawn. If Billy Napier can survive a 6-6 six and six or 7-5 and five in 2023, that 2024 class is already in the top five. And if they continue that class, 2024 could be the, quote, dawn for Billy Napier. Quickly on the Georgia Bulldogs, they lose Todd Munkin, their offensive coordinator, to the NFL. He goes to Baltimore. Mike Bobo in as the new OC. It'll be interesting with Mike Bobo and a new quarterback, most likely Carson Beck. Although Georgia's schedule is so atrociously bad, it probably won't matter that much. Look, Georgia's the two-time defending champion. Far be it for me to ever say anything negative about the dogs. They run college football right now. Their 2023 schedule is a joke. It is an absolute joke. Is it all their fault? No. Oklahoma took off because they're joining the SEC. So they had to replace Oklahoma with somebody. But if you look at that Georgia schedule, they will be 20-point favorites in eight of their 12 games. They'll be 10-point favorites or more in every game they play. It is a bad schedule. Bad meaning there's just not a lot of competition for the dogs in that schedule. So they should be right back in the college football playoff competing for a third consecutive national championship. One hour down, one hour to go. Jacksonville, we're at 10 o'clock. We're glad you're with us. Back into the world of the National Football League. My man Vinny Iyer of the Sporting News. He's done it for a long time. Let's recap the Super Bowl. 
Let's talk a little Jaguars, and let's book big picture at the NFL offseason hot topics. Vinny Iyer, Sporting News, next on Hacker After Dark. Now, another interview on the Farrah and Farrah phone line, brought to you by the accident attorneys at Farrah and Farrah. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. The NFL season now in the rearview mirror after the Kansas City Chiefs hoist the Lombardi Trophy, beating the Philadelphia Eagles in Super Bowl 57. Let's look back on the Super Bowl and look ahead to this offseason. Let's do that with Vinny Iyer of the Sporting News and the Locked On Fantasy Podcast. Vinny, always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Vinny, how we doing, man? I'm doing well. I'm just uh, recovering. It'll be a while before I can get home from Phoenix to uh, Charlotte, but uh, really excited about uh, the way the Super Bowl turned out. Great game between Eagles and Chiefs, and now it's uh, all about uh, who can win next year in Las Vegas Super Bowl 58. Boy, Vinny, the quarterback battle in this year's Super Bowl, both guys, Mahomes and Jalen Hurts, just put on a show. In the end, unfortunately, we're talking about a referee call and a defensive holding penalty, which we'll get to in a moment. But speak on the two quarterbacks. That was certainly something to watch on Sunday night. Yeah, I think that was the way that you want the modern quarterbacks to operate. I mean, dual threats going back and forth until the end. And that, that's what you expected. I mean, what else did you want out of this? You know, you had the MVP, the MVP probably runner-up in the way it looked uh, – with the regular season so uh, that's what you want the two best teams the two best quarterbacks going back and forth all the way to the end somebody has to win the clock's going to run out you got it and really we looked back at all the plays that decided i mean there was one big mistake by one of the quarterbacks and uh, that eventually made the difference it was a three-point difference in the end but that touchdown changed everything it just uh Jalen Hurts, the unforced error with the fumble, Nick Bolton being uh, Johnny on the spot and do the scoop and score. Who knows what happens if the uh, Eagles are able to convert that third down, continue. They were up 14-7 at the time instead of 14-14. And I know they were down 24-14, but when you look at the Chiefs, they're in well positioned to rebound from that and actually take over in the fourth quarter. So all set the tone early. One mistake was all it took. Uh, because you saw the offensive lines were great. There were no interceptions in this game. So looking at the overall, offense really beat up defense uh, badly on both sides. Vinny, ironically enough, Roger Goodell last week, the NFL commissioner, said he believes officiating has never been better. Unfortunately, we're talking about the officiating since that ball game on Sunday night, the defensive hold on James Bradbury. Now, ironically enough, again, Bradbury in the postgame admitted that he held Juju Smith-Schuster, but what was your reaction to the call and the fallout from it? Well, I think uh, basically fans cannot win because I, I go back 10 years to uh, Jim Harbaugh talking after the game, the 49ers-Ravens. The 49ers were trying to complete a comeback to Colin Kaepernick. They threw a ball. They thought it was holding. I think it really could have been called holding in that game. They didn't make a call there, so the complaint there was a non-call. And uh, here the complaint is about a call. So it's all this is just uh, put under a microscope when you see things over and over again. But if the official said it was a penalty, if the player who was uh, fouled against Juju Smith-Schuster says it was a penalty and you have the cornerback in question saying it, I don't know what else we can do. Like these guys, I think, would know how the rules play out a little bit more than anyone else. And I think what happens is we confuse our disappointment 
over a game being decided or a first down being given, they're on a penalty versus just the letter of law. And you have to make that call if it's something that's going to disrupt the flow of the game. And the Eagles knew that, right? That he admitted that he made a move there to keep them from being able to advance the ball. So, I mean, when you do that and, and maybe try to get away with it, not get caught, there's going to be some consequences sometimes. And I, I think they were looking at it too closely in the red zone not to make that call. Vinny Iyer has covered the NFL for many years for the Sporting News. He's with us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Vinny, there's no question the young quarterbacks are coming, right? One here in Trevor Lawrence, you know, whether it's Joe Burrow, Josh Allen, Justin Herbert, Jalen Hurts. But at the end of the day, Patrick Mahomes again, his second Super Bowl, his third Super Bowl appearance. He's been to five consecutive AFC championship games. The competition's going to get tougher with these quarterbacks, but Mahomes again reigns supreme in 2022. Yeah, I don't know if it's the same thing as developing what we had with Tom Brady, right? We had Tom Brady, we had Peyton Manning, we had Ben Roethlisberger, we had uh, Drew Brees, and Roethlisberger was able to break through and to make a run here with the Steelers. You had Drew Brees get a ring, Peyton Manning ended up with two, but in the end, Tom Brady just lapped all those guys. So I think you might see something very similar develop here with this. Like Patrick Mahomes is the head of the field, but these, these other guys will pop up once in a while, whether it's Burrow or Lawrence, maybe Justin Herbert down the line, maybe Josh Allen still has something, Hurts might be back. So I think that's what you're going to see here, potentially history repeating itself. Uh, same thing we had in the 80s, right? You had Joe Montana dominate, which he had a little bit of Dan Marino. He got one Super Bowl. You have John Elway circle back and win some games at the end. And so I think it just goes era by era. The same seems to happen. There's one dominant force quarterback, a lot of other great quarterbacks that go in the Hall of Fame, but then a lot that don't even get their opportunity. So I, I wonder if, uh, like, for example, is Justin Herbert going to be this generation's Philip Rivers, a great Chargers quarterback who can never get to the Super Bowl because there's these other quarterbacks standing in his way. So a lot of fun to watch and think about, though, like definitely looking at Lawrence and Burrow and all these guys. They're going to have opportunities, but it's going to take a complete team to get past Beckham Mahomes, the Chiefs, and disrupt that. And that's what we saw, right? The Patriots had two separate dynasties there, basically three-ring dynasties that they had. Tom Brady at different points. you got to take advantage of that window in between to really win, and that's what those quarterbacks are going to have to do. Vinny, you mentioned the Hall of Fame. I think he was probably in already, but certainly he's in now. Andy Reid, 24 years as a head coach. Well, he did in Philadelphia for 14 years. And now what he's done in Kansas City in a decade, including his second Super Bowl on Sunday night. Put into context, Vinny, of Andy Reid and not only what he's meant to the game, but kind of where he is now among the greatest head coaches that have ever done it. Yeah, he's right up there with everybody. I mean, when you get the two rings, it separates yourself. I mean, that's what we see. The one is one thing, but you get to two, it just puts you in a different class. And now I know everyone knows going to catch Bill Belichick in that sense, but I also like the way Andy Reid does it. Like, he has fun doing it. He's a funny guy. Like, he is uh, very connected with his players. And uh, I talked to uh, Brian Dawkins over the week, and he said that Andy's kind of become kinder, gentler. Like, when he first came in, he thought he had to be stern and strict. But then he learned as he connected with players, as he got comfortable, as he was an established figure, that he could have fun, more fun doing this. And I think... (laughs) When you have a guy like uh, Patrick 
Mahomes as your quarterback, you're going to have a lot more fun and useful energy uh, all of a sudden and get rejuvenated. So I know you definitely had that when they had Alex Smith there and taken over and they had some success, but I think it took it to a whole new level here with Mahomes arriving and this young nucleus with uh, Travis Kelsey. Now that's an older team, but still it's a team that I think has kind of meshed exactly with what Andy Reid's philosophy is and he's got that help in the front office. He's had a reliable coaching staff here for the past several years as well, including Eric Bannon, Dave Two, and Steve Spagnuolo. So everything is kind of lined up well where he's having fun. And that's why I think uh, it was hard for him to even think about retirement now after all these questions came about. I get the age is there, but you want to take advantage that you have Patrick Mahomes. You want to coach that guy as long as you can. And I can see that. So maybe we'll get a Bill Walsh, a George Seifert-like transition at some point during Mahomes' career, but not right now. A couple of more for Vinny Iyer of the Sporting News. Vinny, I haven't had the chance to talk to you since the Jaguars did what they did over the last eight weeks of the season. Your thoughts on the turnaround here in Jacksonville? And, you know, there's a thought now that Jacksonville is going to be among the top four or five contenders in the AFC in 2023 are you buying into that i think yeah i mean they have the profile and if you go want to go back to a track record it's not just the eagles from 2017 what they did in 2022 but how about doug peterson in year two with carson wentz right so you can go back to that and point to uh, what happened there so he kind of knows what to do in year two and really offensively there's no question you know what you're going to get from that the line is solid here got uh, Travis Etienne, but got Calvin Ridley coming in, too, to help with those uh, receivers. I assume they will uh, re-sign Evan Ingram here, so they'll be pretty solid up front if they need to move uh, Walker Little into a starting position there at uh, right tackle and let Juwan Taylor go. They could do that. They've got, they got options. They can look at an upgrade attack, so there's different ways to approach it, and uh, their defense, we know, has a lot of young playmakers with the first-rounders from last year, Trevon Walker and Devin Lloyd. So, yeah, there's going to be some excitement here. And I think what you're going to see from the Jaguars, I would expect here, a very aggressive offseason. You've got to jump on it in Lawrence's uh, third year is really second great year that we expect here in a legitimate. You feel now bad that what we did Doug Peterson earlier. It's kind of like threw away the rookie season with Urban Meyer. But uh, at this stage, there should be a lot of optimism and buzz about this team. And there's no way I would be aggressive because I would go after this hard from the Jaguars as much as possible. You've got to do it when you have that uh, r- rookie quarterback contract, and maybe they'll be the Bengals of uh, 2024, that the Bengals were in 2021. You know, that, that's <laughs> the thought we want here in Jacksonville. And, and look, Vinny, this sounds juvenile, and you do a lot of these interviews in a lot of markets, but honestly, the thought I had last week is when Trevor Lawrence is on every major network, when Trevor Lawrence is on commercials, when Trevor Lawrence is doing interviews on every national radio show, he's kind of the first superstar the Jaguars have had in the social media era. Even last night when YouTube TV is talking about Sunday Ticket, there's Trevor Lawrence, one of the second or third players that they showed in that commercial. There's never a Jaguar in national TV NFL commercials, yet there was Super Bowl night with Trevor Lawrence. It's Kind of refreshing in a way here in Duval County, to be honest. Yeah, it does help that he has uh, impeccable hair. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that's always going to get you a lot of commercials. We know going back today with Troy Palomalu uh, and Patrick Mahomes. Don't forget, he got his start in the hair uh, commercials. So we'll soon see uh, Trevor Lawrence pitching insurance. 
we'll see him uh, doing all kinds of things. Uh, so I, I, I'm excited to see what their future is. But you're right. He, he puts uh, the Jags on a map like they've never had before. No offense to uh, Mark Brunel or uh, Blake Bortles in eras past. But this is the guy that's uh, going to push them uh, forward as the face of the franchise. And again, have them more of a nationally recognized team. You saw what happened to Joe Burrow, right? His personality, in fact, he's become popular way beyond Cincinnati. So I think that can happen for Trevor Lawrence outside of Jacksonville as well. Hey, Vinny, leave us with this. Final question. AFC South, right? The Colts are on the verge of having a brand-new head coach. We know the Texans have hired D'Amico Ryan. There's a new general manager in Tennessee there with Rand Carthon and the Jaguars amazingly enough, for the most stable franchise in the division right now. What's your outlook for the division in 2023? Yeah, I don't know if it's going to be strong beyond one team, I hate to say. I mean, the Titans, you know, are pesky and physical. They'll figure out something to uh, win a lot of battles of attrition or something like that. With whoever's a quarterback, they'll uh, rebuild a little bit. But when you look at the Colts, I mean, they're figuring out who your coach is. You don't know who your quarterback is. Uh, that could be a disaster for a while and then you look at uh houston i do like the promise i do like D'Amico ryan's hire bringing him back into town i like some of the 49ers related hires he's made early but it's going to take a while they also don't have a quarterback in the davis mills i think they've given him enough in the audition here for two years you got to go in you got those two uh, picks in the first round go get your offense right so uh, i think again it's always good to be the team ahead of the others when you have your quarterback and uh, the Jaguars definitely light years ahead of those three other teams at this point. Vinny Iyer of the Sporting News, also the Locked on Fantasy podcast. Vinny, know you're busy. Thank you for the time. We certainly appreciate it. We'll talk this offseason as developments warrant. Safe travels home, my friend. All right. Thanks, Ryan. Have a good one. Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. You know, Denmark, one of these times when we come back from break and you drop the $1,000 if you know this song thing. Yeah. What's that? One of these times I'm going to actually know the song. And I'll be very curious if you give me $1,000. Yeah, I'll just give you my entire paycheck. <laughs> That's probably true, actually. Um, it will not be tonight, though. What What is this? This is uh, this guy's name is A Boogie with a Hoodie. A Boogie with a Hoodie. Yeah, no. Wits, W-I-T. Okay, very good. Very good. No, this did not make the iPod shuffle okay. back in the day. But uh it's a good song. Good piece of a good piece of music here. Really enjoying it on a Wednesday night edition of Hacker After Dark. Coming up, we'll go to Kansas City, Jed Marshall, Sports Radio six ten, and the Kansas City Sports Network, as the Chiefs had a parade in downtown Kansas City today. Patrick Mahomes said this is just the beginning. I certainly hope not, because that would not bode well for everybody else in the AFC, including right here with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Look, it's Mahomes' conference. It's Mahomes' league right now. There's no debating that. The guy beat Justin Herbert in the regular season. He went through Trevor Lawrence, Joe Burrow, and Jalen Hurts. This postseason, he also beat Josh Allen last postseason. It is his league. But the young guys are coming. Trevor here. You know, by the way, we always talk about the same guys, right? Burrow, Herbert, Lawrence, Allen, Mahomes. What if Deshaun Watson finds himself in Cleveland? 
if Tua could ever stay healthy in Miami, he's proven. When healthy, he's pretty good. Lamar Jackson, by the way, there is legitimate talk that the Atlanta Falcons are very much in play for a potential deal for Lamar Jackson. What would that cost in compensation? How many first-round picks is Baltimore going to want for Lamar Jackson? It also gets complicated because Lamar Jackson is scheduled to be a free agent, but you and I both know that will never happen because he will be franchise-tagged in the next two weeks before free agency gets here on March 13th. But there are a lot of really, really good quarterbacks in the AFC. But give Patrick Mahomes credit. The elder statesman, right, at 27 years of age, he battled them all this year, and he came out on top. And they celebrated today. We'll go to Kansas City. Jed Marshall caught up with him earlier, Sports Radio 610 and the Kansas City Sports Network. And we will recap one final time the second world championship for Patrick Mahomes and the second Super Bowl for Andy Reid, which no doubt now makes Andy Reid a first ballot Hall of Famer. We'll do more of this tomorrow night, cbssports.com has ranked every rookie class in the NFL from 2022. Ranked them 1 to 32, every class. Denmark, have you seen this list? I have not. Let me ask you then. All right. Where do you think CBS Sports had the Jaguar 2022 rookie class ranked from 1 to 32? Like number one's the best, 32's the worst. Number one's the best, 32's the worst. Give me uh give me give me nine. Denmark goes number nine. Denmark, you're way higher on the rookie class than okay. CBS was. I can't say I necessarily disagree with this list. They got Jacksonville coming in at number twenty five. Oh, that was pretty close. Yeah, a little bit. They say the year one hits for the Jaguars, not Trayvon Walker, not Devin Lloyd. They have Chad Moom. I would argue with that. Luke Fortner. Started 19 games at center. Luke Fortner was the star of the rookie class. But what CBS says, we're classifying Muma as the only pure hit, and he didn't play much. Although Trayvon Walker and Devin Lloyd weren't terrible, did they meet the normal number one overall pick and late first-round standards? No. I don't disagree with that. It's hard to argue that. I think both Walker and Lloyd are going to get better. But for the here and now, yeah, they were probably disappointing during their rookie years. Again, CBS ranks Jacksonville's rookie class in 2022 as one of the bottom in the league, right? 25th out of 32. 641-1010 on the phone line and on the text line designed by Lifetime Enclosures. Earlier, I had a chance to speak with Jed Marshall of Sports Radio 610 in Kansas City. Let's go to Kansas City. Let's talk championships. Let's talk parade. Let's talk Chiefs offseason and what they need to do moving forward as far as free agency and the salary cap. That's next. Hacker After Dark on a Wednesday night in Jacksonville, Florida. And as always, we are glad you are with us. This just on Hacker After Dark. Jed Marshall, Sports Radio 610 in Kansas City, two minutes away. Before we get there, I want to give you this update 
Uh, word out of Gainesville. Again, Florida did win tonight against Ole Miss, uh, 74-59. So the Gators, 14-12 and 12 on the year, 7-6 and six in the Southeastern Conference. But word coming out of Gainesville is that Colin Castleton suffered a broken hand in the win tonight. Um, obviously, you know, we'll wait for the diagnosis. It, it happened an hour and a half ago, but you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure out there's only like seven games left in the year. I guess six games left in the year. And um, what is that? Two and a half, three weeks. Very likely the Colin Castleton season might have ended tonight. Again, the official Gator basketball Twitter handle tweeted out moments ago that Colin Castleton did suffer a broken hand in tonight's win over Ole Miss, so a costly win for the Gators. Look, they weren't going anywhere anyway, weren't going to make the NCAA tournament, but nevertheless, A, you don't want to see the young man get injured, and B, he is clearly, and it's not even close, their best basketball player. So some very unfortunate news tonight. Again, Colin Castleton reportedly suffers a broken hand in the win over Ole Miss tonight. And we'll see what happens as far as a diagnosis goes, but very likely that his season and likely his career at the University of Florida may come to an end as a result of the broken hand injury tonight. With that, let's go to Kansas City. Jed Marshall, Sports Radio 610, here on Hacker After Dark. Now. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. It was a late night watching Super Bowl 57 as Kansas City gets it done. The Lombardi Trophy again heading to Arrowhead Stadium as they defeat Philadelphia in a Super Bowl we'll be talking about for quite some time. As late a night as it was for us here in Jacksonville, it was much later for my man Jed Marshall of Sports Radio 610 in Kansas City and the Kansas City Sports Network. Jed, have you gotten any sleep? Since what Ryan, happened a night ago? Not a lot, Ryan, but uh, I'm doing well. Thank you, as always, for having me, man. How are you? Hey, we're good, Jed. Appreciate the time. I know it's been very busy for you guys out there. And what's the vibe in the city been like today? Another Lombardi trophy heading to Kansas City. Well, I mean, it's just kind of what we do. It's old hat at this point. Five straight AFC Conference you know, championship games, two Super Bowls. Three appearances. It's it's just kind of what we do here in Kansas City. But no, to be serious, everyone's ecstatic. I think that you know, just from a, a bigger city perspective, it just makes everyone excited as as a Kansas City. And and th- this is a weird market in the sense that we have three local schools that are all very divisive in their sense. But yet on a day like today, everyone's a Chiefs fan. So just smiles all around, man. Judd, your thoughts on the game last night, man. Back and forth. Boy, Jalen Hurts uh, played fantastic. Mahomes gets injured again, just like he did against the Jaguars. And you're thinking, oh, my goodness. And just like he did three weeks ago, he puts on the Superman cape, comes out in the second half, and is almost unstoppable. I mean, what a performance by both offenses and particularly both quarterbacks. Yeah, for sure. Just from a a sports perspective, it was a great game to watch. If you had nothing invested – you know, like the people in Jacksonville, no offense, but I, I think that it was just an incredible game to watch. It was a back-and-forth battle. I think that you you definitely did see the two best teams in the NFL and evenly matched as they were. Jalen Hurts played out of his mind, but 
it's like I talked about a few weeks ago when I was on with you. Maybe two through 53, the Eagles really are better. But the one position that makes the most difference, you saw it last night in spades with Patrick Mahomes. He's just, and that's not to take anything away from Jalen Hurts, who, again, played in amazing games. But Patrick Mahomes, like you said, put on his Superman cape and just made the impossible possible like he's done so many times here in Kansas City. Jed, the game was not without flaws. Again, Jed Marshall, Sports Radio 610 in Kansas City. Look, I don't know if this was an NFL problem, a City of Phoenix problem, but the fact that the World Championship game in the NFL was played on a slip and slide on that yep. field, how much conversation did that get on the post game last night? Um, it got some conversation. The fact that nobody really, you know, sustained, obviously Mahomes got injured, but that wasn't necessarily due to the turf, but it, it did cost the Chiefs Harrison Butker earlier in the year when they played in Arizona for an extended period of time. But it, it when you win the Super Bowl, so many people were just so blinded by the fact that the Chiefs were world champions and so ecstatic that really nothing could bring anybody down, everything be damned. Because there was a lot of conversation, not necessarily about the field going into the game, but certainly about the officiating crew and what Carl Sheffers was going to do because apparently people here in Kansas City think that he had some bias against the Chiefs. But we heard no conversation about the field no conversation about the officiating. It was just everybody being ecstatic. So for as bad as the conditions were, and I'm with you, I, I think that that's laughable that the NFL allowed that to happen. But no, there wasn't a lot of conversation, at least on the postgame. Jed, I get the feeling I know your answer to this, but I'm going to ask it anyway. You talk to folks in Cincinnati. You talk to folks in Philadelphia. Maybe even some people here, although I don't believe that. And you certainly talk to people that are not Chiefs fans nationally. And they will tell you that the Chiefs, um, I guess, got the benefit of a lot of calls by the officials, including the hold on James Bradbury last night. Although I will remind those people that James Bradbury admitted that he held him in the postgame. So once the guy admits that he did it, I think that conversation is moot, at least from that standpoint. But has there been any reaction to the, the venom going Kansas City's way regarding the officiating this playoffs? Um. That's an interesting question. I Again, I, I look at it from a Kansas City perspective. I don't necessarily think that there's any venom, but there's it's league-wide that the officiating is porous, at least in my opinion. So the fact that, that a call may have benefited you, it's whenever you're blaming the officials or looking at officiating, this is just my opinion, it's a loser's lament. If you want to go out there, make winning plays. The officiating is terrible, like I said, league-wide it's not necessarily going to decide a game one way or another. And I know that there are crazy people out there who like to think that the NFL is fixed and all of these things. You know what? Grow up and go out and win games. I guess that would that would be my sentiment on that. Yeah, again, particularly when Bradbury admitted to holding him in, yeah, the, uh, and, in the postgame. Right, and that's the thing. I, I To me, when, when a player admits that he was, you know, holding and he just hoped that he'd get away with it, the old adage, and I know that we've all heard that there are penalties on every play. It's just dependent upon how the officiating crew wants to call it. I think a lot of the calls, though, that we're talking about, like specifically the Cincinnati one, do players get preferential treatment like Patrick Mahomes in that instance? Probably. But if you go back and look at it, he was clearly out of bounds. It was a penalty. I mean, it, was it beneficial for the Chiefs? Sure. But again know the rules of the game, make a smart winning play. And Cincinnati didn't do that in that instance. And I mean, that sounds like sour grapes to me. 
Jed Marshall, Sports Radio 610 in Kansas City. Jed, the first Mahomes Super Bowl maybe caught some people off guard outside Kansas City. This one, though, the Chiefs were the hunted. They had to go through Justin Herbert in the regular season, and then they had to beat Trevor Lawrence, Joe Burrow, and Jalen Hurts back-to-back-to-back, and they did it. Does this one seem maybe more satisfying than the one a couple of years ago? Well, they're all satisfying when you get down to it. But, yeah, I think that this one's better probably because the Chiefs actually retooled and so much was made of losing Tyreek Hill or, you know, the trade of Tyreek Hill this offseason and that the Chiefs were retooling and that they, they wouldn't be as dynamic. What did they do? They went out and led the NFL in offense. They were the best offense in the NFL. The defense played lights out. But again, I mentioned a few weeks ago when you had me on, I think a lot of credit goes to Brett Veach and what he's done. And you saw the the rookies and young players stepping up last night. But I think this one's more satisfying in the sense that it really validated what the Chiefs are, because there was a lot of conversation nationally about, you know, who's the best quarterback in the NFL all season and who's the best quarterback moving forward. I think right now it shows it's Patrick Mahomes. I think that he's the standard, but it also gets the monkey off his back of not being put into the category of Aaron Rodgers, you know, and Rodgers is an unbelievable talent, a weird guy, but an unbelievable talent. And unfortunately for him, he only has the one Super Bowl and now his career is dwindling down. So I think that it's more, you know, euphoria, but also a sense of relief, if that makes sense. I was surprised, Jed, last night, Andy Reid, at least the rumor was that he potentially may call it a career and retire if they win. He squashed that pretty quick on the podium up there with uh, with Terry Bradshaw. And by the way, hey, Terry Bradshaw, telling Andy Reid to waddle on over. I mean, that was – I didn't think much of that. But, but regardless of that, was there talk about Andy Reid calling it a career after last night and, and – did it come as a surprise that he squashed that so quickly? It wasn't surprising to me that he squashed it. I hadn't really heard anything about him, you know, calling it quits. I know that Andy is um, a bigger guy, and I thought that uh, Terry Bradshaw's comments were out of line. But also, Andy is an affable guy and likes to uh, have fun, so I think he probably took it in good spirits. But no, I hadn't really heard anything about that, so it was a little surprising. I was not surprised that he that he squashed that. I think that Andy's a little bit like Bill Belichick in the sense that I don't know what he'll do without football, if that makes any sense. You know, like he's he's so committed to the game and so entrenched in drawing up plays and wanting to, you know, move the game forward offensively. And I think that to a certain extent, it kind of reinvigorates him. So he's one of those guys I think he's going to coach until the bitter end, if that, you know, not to sound morbid, but I he's – He's just such a football guy. And I, I think it, you know, like we've heard stories here in Kansas City about how at this point he already has everything mapped out for what OTAs and the offseason program is going to look like. And he's he's just so, such a meticulous planner that I, you know, I, I think he's going to coach for, oh, five, seven more years. Final moments, Jed Marshall, Sports Radio 610 and the Kansas City Sports Network. Jed, Travis Kelsey last night was unstoppable again. For the life of me, I don't know how everybody in the stadium knows the ball is going to him and no one can stop it. And that's, I guess, just a testament to Andy Reid, Eric Bieniemy, Patrick Mahomes, and Travis Kelsey. 
himself. But he said repeatedly last night after the game that nobody believed in us. It was us against the world sort of thing. Caught me off guard because I picked Kansas City to win. I know a lot of people picked Kansas City to win. Was that just something they were using as motivation that wasn't really there? I, I didn't realize that so many people were anti-Kansas City before Travis Kelsey brought it up last night. I think that there's a little bit of motivation factor in that and that you always have to play the underdog. But again, I go back to some of the comments I made earlier. Throughout the, the year, you did hear a lot about the Bengals. The Bengals especially did a lot of talking, the mayor specifically, and Travis Kelsey rebutted that. Um, but no, I, th- I think that just it's more from a national perspective that the, the, the Chiefs weren't really ever talked about yeah they were a good team and Mahomes is great but they weren't ever the hot thing you know it was always Josh Allen and the Bills are the best the Bengals are the best you guys in Jacksonville there Trevor Lawrence is a scary good team you know a scary good quarterback and you guys have a good roster there you know so it it wasn't ever that the Chiefs certainly were the hunted team but they weren't ever the talked about team so I think that they did you know use a little bit of that as motivation the thing that I, I didn't ever hear anything I I heard no trash talk from the Eagles or Philadelphia it seemed like more of a love fest um going into that matchup and there were so many cool storylines that it was hard to make it you know um I guess as have as much animosity as as a, as there was going into the Bengals game but no I, I think that there was a motivation factor but you know just hearing that you're not the best and that, you know, there are always teams looking to be put in front of you, I think, from a national perspective is more what what the Chiefs and Kelsey were referring to. Jed, as we begin to wrap up, is this a dynasty? Is there talk about that out there? Do you believe that we've reached that point where you talk about dynasty there in Kansas City? There is a lot of talk, and that's one of the most talked about topics on our station and in the postgame show. To me, yes, this is a dynasty. What I mentioned at the onset, you know, five AFC championship games, three Super Bowl appearances, two wins, and it doesn't appear like anything's slowing down. As long as you have 15, 87, and Andy Reid, I'll take my chances against the field, and I think that the Chiefs are going to find themselves in a very good position next year. The funny thing is, when you play this long – the calendar gets away from you a little bit. We're four weeks away from free agency, which is absolutely hard to believe. You take a deep breath, you enjoy the parade, and then the Chiefs have some decisions to make very, very quickly. What are the two or three biggest questions for Kansas City player-wise heading into free agency? Um, I think, well, number one is what are you going to do with Juju Smith-Schuster because the wide receiving core, or excuse me, core, yeah, here in Kansas City is not all that that dynamic i mean when you have travis kelsey it really doesn't matter what you're putting out there and when you have patrick mahomes he makes everybody better around him so i i think that that's a big concern what they're going to do with frank clark is another thing because frank clark he's expensive but you saw at least in the playoffs playoff frank i mean he came up huge and there's been a lot of debate with him just because of his off the field issues and stuff like that and whether he's been a productive signing so I think those are probably the two biggest things. Um, and then, obviously, you have the draft coming up, as you mentioned, which is going to be here in Kansas City. So, yeah, there's it's just football never ends. It's, it's taken over the world, and I, I, it's just unbelievable. 
Well, Kansas City comes to Jacksonville next year. We're hoping that's a primetime game, maybe Sunday or Monday night. I think it should be. Patrick Mahomes against Trevor Lawrence here in Duval County. We cannot wait for that. Jed Marshall a Sports Radio 610 in the Kansas City Sports Network. Jed, you've joined us a lot, man, over the last month. I can't thank you enough. We'll dial your phone as uh, developments warrant this offseason, but congrats to the Kansas City Chiefs and have fun at that parade later in the week. Thank you, Ryan. You're the best. Always appreciate it. And thank you to Jed Marshall, Sports Radio 610 in Kansas City and the Kansas City Sports Network for joining us here on Hacker After Dark as the Kansas City Chiefs are celebrating another Vince Lombardi trophy, the second ring for Patrick Mahomes, the second ring for Andy Reid, and who knows where it's going to stop. Certainly a lot of competition is coming with Joe Burrow and Josh Allen and certainly Trevor Lawrence, Justin Herbert, just to name a few. But again, Kansas City reigning supreme this year and celebrating today with that parade in downtown Kansas City, Missouri. Well, that'll just about wrap it up for what has been a very busy Wednesday night edition of Hacker After Dark here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Thank you guys for hanging out with us. As always, we got a lot of people to thank. Again, Jed Marshall, Sports Radio 610 and the Kansas City Sports Network for joining us tonight here on Hacker After Dark. Thank you to Vinny Iyer of the Sporting News, longtime NFL writer for the Sporting News and the Locked On Fantasy Podcast. Always enjoy getting Vinny Iyer's perspective, not only on the national stories, but certainly when it comes right here to the Jacksonville Jaguars. And thank you to J.P. Shadrick, Jaguars.com and Jaguars Radio for joining us in our number one tonight here on Hacker After Dark as it's happy Calvin Ridley day. Calvin Ridley applied for reinstatement earlier today. Now the waiting game <coughs> begins to see when Calvin Ridley will officially be reinstated by the National Football League. And that's the first big free agent, right? That'll probably be the biggest free agent acquisition the Jaguars will have. The addition of Calvin Ridley to that wide receiving core here in Jacksonville. We will be back tomorrow night on a Thursday and we will do it all over again. Dylan Denmark was your producer tonight. Dylan, great job as always. I'm the hacker Ryan Green. And Jacksonville, thank you for spending part of your Wednesday evening with us right here on Hacker After Dark on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. So for all of us here on HAD, have an absolutely terrific remainder of your Wednesday evening, and we will talk to you tomorrow night on a Thursday, beginning at 8 o'clock. Until then, good night, Jacksonville.